Open your Bible. Open your Bible to Romans chapter 1. Uh, that's where we are, Romans chapter 1. Uh, we, we are going to be uh, going from verse 11 through verse 15 this morning. So Romans chapter 1, 11 through 15. And um, before, we, before we read the passage, um, we've, we've spent a couple of weeks in the book of Romans now. And what we saw initially was uh, we saw uh, verses 1 to 7, the Apostle Paul saying, um, Hi, I'm Paul. Uh, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ, but also an apostle. And so I have a message for you. I'm, I'm a servant. That's my identity. Um, but this message is important. This message comes straight from God. All right, and then we see where Paul uh, essentially says, I'm praying for you, and I thank God for you constantly. And, and he makes an oath that as God is my witness, I pray for you without ceasing. In other words, every time I pray, I pray for you. And I thank God for you, for your faith, for, for your testimony, for, because your faith and what you're doing there in Rome is being spread around the world. People are talking about you and your faith all around the world. And then what we have in uh, verses 11 to 15 is, I want to come to Rome, and I'm going to tell you why I want to come to Rome. And Paul gives several reasons why he wants so desperately to come to Rome. And it's important for us to remember, especially uh, as we move in, to this, uh, to this book, that Paul did not know the church in Rome. He did not plant that church. Paul did not know the people there. He did not know the people that he was writing this letter to. And he was not the one that started the church. And so uh, because of that, because he didn't know them, but he wanted to minister to them, to, excuse me, to them um, and he was unable to get to them and go visit them, he wrote, um, or, or God inspired Paul to write this letter. So let's read verses 11 to 15. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you, to you also who are in Rome. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to come before you. Father, we thank you for your word and, and for the fact that, that we know that your word is truth. God, we thank you that you reveal yourself through your scriptures. And so when we open the scriptures, we see what it is that you have inspired. God, we pray that that this morning we would be here to worship you because you're worthy of all worship and all honor. And this morning that you would increase and I would decrease. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we worship you. And we pray these things in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, what we're going to look at this morning is, why does Paul want to go to Rome? And this, this is not just important for the apostle writing to the church in Rome. This is important for us to well. In fact, there's quite a bit of application for, for us in our own lives, right? But the first reason that we see uh, comes in verse 11, which says, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. 
Paul comes out and tells them why he wants to visit. Right, right off the bat here, he says, uh, which is essentially to serve them, right? Uh, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. So he's saying, I want to serve you. I want to minister to you. I, I want to give you a spiritual gift. I want to strengthen you spiritually. I want to increase your faith, is what he's saying. He wants to serve them by imparting spiritual gifts. He wants to serve them. He wants to contribute to them. He wants to support them, to help them, not to exploit them. He's not looking for a resource for, for his own ministry or benefit. He's, he's looking to assist them in theirs. He wants to help them. And this really falls right in line with his overall ministry goal, which he laid out in, in the book of Colossians chapter 1. He said, Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul wants to serve this church, and he wants to do it selflessly. And we talked about uh, over the last couple of weeks how Paul genuinely loves this church. He, he absolutely loves them. He cares for them. He's, he's uh, ministered, uh, or the church ministers to him. He's just encouraged by what they're doing. And we talked about how that's unique because Paul had never met them. And, and he has this deep love for a church, a group of people that he's never met. He's so encouraged by what's happening up in Rome. And this kind of service, this selfless service is is. One of, the, one of the hallmarks of genuine love, both in Paul's day and in our day today. A great example of this uh, would be motherhood, right? This, this is one of the reasons why moms are so special. One of the reasons, not the only reason why moms are so special, right? Moms take or moms make sacrifices uh, their entire lives, not because they have to or because they expect a return on those sacrifices, but because moms love their children. They care for their children, so they're happily going to make sacrifices for them for the, for the benefit of the children. Because moms genuinely love their kids. Paul demonstrated this when, when he said to the Corinthians, in, in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Paul tells the Romans here, Specifically, my purpose for ministering, my purpose for serving, my purpose for preaching is so that you will be strengthened in the faith. My desire to come to you is to encourage you to strengthen your faith so that spiritually you will increase. In order for them to be strengthened in the faith, he preaches the gospel to them. That, that's what he wants to do. Did, did, you, did you notice that? There's, there's something unique here. Uh, Paul doesn't question the salvation of these believers. He, he just, he believes that they're believers. He, he trusts them. He doesn't say, you know what? I need to come up and I need to preach the true gospel to ensure that you really are Christians, to ensure that even though, you know, you, you might say you're Christian, but I don't think you really are. So I need to come up there and make sure that you are. That's not what Paul does. Paul doesn't question their faith. He doesn't question their salvation but he still wants to come up and preach the gospel to them. He says for them to be strengthened in the faith, they need to hear the gospel. 
And the gospel, Paul hasn't defined it yet in this book, but he's going to. And we're going to look at that. Actually, the next two weeks, we're going to look at the gospel in verses 16 and 17 and what the gospel is and how it's defined and how it, has, how it is the power of God to save. But the gospel isn't something that we hear or believe at our conversion only to, to set it aside and make room for something more profound. It's, it's not like a, a doorway you walk through in order to be saved. Okay, the gospel impacts every single part of our life. For the rest of our life, it transforms us. It makes us new. The gospel is not something that we just have to trust and believe and then then just continue on to, to deeper and more profound things. The gospel changes everything for all of us, for all who believe. This is why Jesus talked about being born again. Jesus, in John 3, 3, it says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Throughout John 3, Jesus uses that same terminology, being born again. In fact, Christians all over the place know what a born-again Christian is. We know that term, but we use it. We use it to explain that the gospel transforms you. It it changes everything about you. It's, It's why Paul And his letter to the Corinthians, um, he says that we become a new creation. When When we hear the gospel and we're saved by its message, we're changed. Everything about us radically transforms. We grow in our understanding of the gospel, and as we do that, we grow in our faith and our reliance upon Christ. So the apostle says the way to strengthen you in your faith is for me to preach the gospel, for me to bring the gospel to you. Not because Paul didn't trust their faith, not because Paul thought that they were just claiming to be Christian but weren't, but Paul wanted to strengthen their faith, encourage them, and build them up. But because he couldn't make it to Rome or hadn't made it to Rome yet, he wrote this letter. And it really, is, it really is the most thorough explanation of the gospel as well as the best explanation of how the Old Testament comes together to explain the gospel. Those two things coming together. Paul does, uh, or this book, the book of Romans, does an, it's incredible how well it, it describes the gospel and what it means and the implications of the gospel. But what a lot of people overlook as they're reading the book of Romans is how the Old Testament is used to support the gospel and point to the gospel as well. So Paul's purpose in going to Rome, his first reason, is to serve this church, to minister to them. He's not looking for any benefit on his own. His primary purpose is to serve them and to strengthen them in their faith. But Paul is, uh, he's not a proud man and he realizes that going to Rome and ministering to these Christians and strengthening them in their faith and preaching the gospel to them that Paul will benefit as well that's not his goal but he realizes that there's going to be a mutual encouragement here okay and we see this in verse 12 that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith both yours and mine he makes clear that a visit to Rome would benefit himself as, as well as benefiting them. And don't get me wrong, his purpose is to serve him. That's what he wants to do, but he knows that when he goes there, they're going to minister to him as well. Obviously, 
Uh, Paul was a gifted man. He's used by God in incredible ways. He received truth directly from God. But Paul never thought that he was above being spiritually edified by other believers. In fact, I don't know of any place in the entire New Testament, any of Paul's letters, where we could find any hint of uh, spiritual pride on the apostles' part. And to be honest, that the truly concerned and thankful and willing and and submissive person or spirit here you know the approach is also humble and the person with with this type of spirit never has a feeling of spiritual superiority and never lords it over those that he serves in christ's name have you ever met someone who's constantly talking about those who are spiritually immature or or less spiritual than themselves or 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 not as faithful as themselves or or you know you you wouldn't understand this because you're not as spiritually mature as i am and and i i know these things because i'm more spiritually mature and i i grasp these things constantly talking about uh people who are spiritually immature or whatever the terminology they might use that person is the opposite of the apostle paul here Paul makes known that he wants to serve and strengthen the Roman church. But at the same time, his humility shows, uh, and he realizes that he will be strengthened by them as well. And think about that. This is the Apostle Paul. This is, this is one of the, the most faithful men in the history of Christianity. He's well aware that as he goes and visits this church, that he is going to be strengthened by their faith. He's going to be encouraged by them. This, Paul really is, um, and no, no one really even questions this, but he's considered to be the greatest theologian in, in the history of Christianity. He's also one of the most humble. God blessed him in incredible ways, but he had no spiritual pride. And Paul himself claimed that he was not yet spiritually perfected. He claimed that in Philippians chapter 3. And he's happy to be helped by the believers in Rome, even if they were weaker in the faith than he was even if they too needed encouragement and instruction and needed to hear the gospel. As you minister here, whether here or, or if, if this isn't your home church, then in your home church, or as you minister in your community group or in boot camp or wherever it is that you minister specifically, as you minister, you will find that you will receive back more than you give. And I'm not saying that that's a reason to, to pursue ministry, but that's just, that's just something that naturally happens. And that, that impacts every area of the Christian life as well, even our relationships. Uh, look, it, it might be uh, between even a, a husband and a wife. And, and, and maybe you feel that your spouse doesn't pay attention to you or doesn't love you the way that they ought to. If you'll begin you'll devote yourself to selfless service i promise that you will get back more than you give now i'm not saying that you'll get back from your spouse i'm not going to promise that god will change that situation i'm not making a blanket statement on saving relationships but god will give you back more than you could ever give if you faithfully devote yourself to giving yourself away to another person to ministering to other people, to serve them because you love them. And you're doing that out of a genuine faith. Paul says to the Romans, 
God, I have something to give to you. I, I, have, I, I need to preach. I need to, to, to spiritually strengthen you. But I'm going to receive something from you as well. And I'm going to be blessed by you as well. Paul understands this completely. He is going to be encouraged by the church in Rome. He's not naive to that. And he's not above it either. The next thing uh, that we're going to see comes out of verse 13. Verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul wants to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, and the Gentiles are pretty much anyone who's not a Jew, okay? If, if you're not sure what the difference between a Jew or a Gentile is, a, a Jew is, we know who the Jewish people are, and the Gentiles are everybody else, okay? Um, but he opens up his letter by saying, look, I, I've been wanting to come to Rome. I've been praying to come to Rome for a long time. And, and later in, in the letter, he's also even going to say, I've tried to come to Rome, but I've been prevented. And I, I've tried to do that. And I, th I think he probably knows that there's some cynical joker up in Rome saying, Paul, if you want to come to Rome so desperately, why haven't you been here? Where have you been, Paul? And so we have verse 13, look, I, I've been wanting to come to you, but I've been prevented. I, I've intended to come, but thus far have been prevented. He says, look, the reason I haven't come is not because I don't want to. It's not because I haven't been uh, planning on it or, or prayed and asked God to. It's because I have been prevented. It was not what God wanted at the time. I have been stopped every time I tried to come. Paul really had a nonstop pursuit of spiritual fruit. He really did. It, and this falls right in line with Jesus' words to his disciples and what Jesus called them to in John 15. He says, uh, these are the words of Jesus, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Paul's goal is uh, to see people converted to Christ. And he wants to see Christians built up and strengthened. So his aim is evangelism and edification. We call this Christian discipleship. That, that's Paul's goal. He wants to bring into fellowship with Christ those that are not in fellowship with Christ. And, and as they're converted to Christ, he wants to teach them to be disciples of Jesus because you can't be uh, saved by Christ and not be a disciple. And so his work of edification is going to involve not only bringing people into the kingdom, but building them up and strengthening them and encouraging them. And so Paul here makes his desire known. And, and by the way, that at the end of verse 13 here, uh, uh, the phrase there as among the rest of the Gentiles, we see something about the Roman church. Uh, that's kind of unique. And what we find out about the Roman church is that they were mostly Gentiles. Typically, uh, Paul's church plants, uh, they started with the Jewish core. They, and uh, what would happen is as Paul, you know, went on his missionary journeys, you can, as you read the book of Acts, you'll see this. Uh, but Paul would travel to a city and he'd go into the synagogue. And so Paul would go into the synagogue and he'd start preaching in the synagogue and he'd be there, you know, three weeks or so. And then after he was done preaching in the synagogue, he would say, if you want to know more about this message, if you want to know more about it, come with me and study with me or, or see me after the service, right? And so he'd get a, a group of people to start studying the scriptures with him and then 
those people would come to Christ and they'd be Jewish Christians. And as those people came to Christ and, and were built up, uh, then what would happen is they would start sharing the gospel in their city and the Gentiles would start to get saved. But Paul's church plants would begin with a, kind of a Jewish core. But Paul didn't plant this church in Rome. And so that's, that's probably not how it worked. But there's another reason why this church is, pri- is primarily Gentile. Uh, in about, I want to say it was 49. I could be wrong on the year. The emperor expelled all the Jews out of the city of Rome. So the Jews have to get out. I don't want them in my city. And there's a reason for this. You know, they were, they were accused of uh, disturbance. And, uh, and so the emperor says, the Jews need to leave. They need to get out. And they were expelled for five years. And so probably what happened is the church was going, and it had Jews, and it had, excuse me, Gentiles. And uh, the church was uh, going, and they were both in there, and then all of a sudden the Jews get kicked out of the city, so the Gentiles are left. Then when the Jews came back, uh, the Gentile population had grown in the church and so we primarily have a gentile church that's typically what church historians uh, say happened in uh, in the roman church the scriptures do not say that so you're welcome to disagree with that Uh, you can ask the apostle paul when you get to heaven how it worked right Um, but primarily what we find is this roman church is made of gentiles okay and so um that's most that's how paul's church plants work but these uh, again are primarily gentiles um And because Paul had a special burden for Gentiles, he tells them, I want to have fruit among you just like the other Gentiles. Now, we know that there's definitely a Gentile nature of the Roman church. We need to see that Paul's goal is to bear fruit among these Christians. And Paul's desire, pretty much everywhere he goes, in every letter we see, we see this strong desire for spiritual fruit. And this drives a question in us. We have to answer this question. When you come to a worship service or a community group or or wherever it is that you study and and you're ministered to, do you intentionally seek fruit among those whom you worship with? So when you come on Sunday morning, as you prepared this morning to come here, where on your priority list was edify other believers? Do, do you come on Sunday morning because you're a Christian and you feel that's what you have to do? Like that's how you're going to please God is, is by attend a worship service? Do, do you come to, to a, a worship service to, to hear good music and, and to sing great songs? Is that it? Do you, is, is your sole purpose for Sunday morning to come and hear some music and, and a boring sermon and then go home and beat the Methodist to Applebee's? What, what is your, what's your goal for Sunday morning? Where on your agenda for Sunday morning is edify other believers? Is it even on that list? Is it there? I don't know. You have to answer that yourself. You can write it in your little journal. I don't know if you got a journal, but uh, if you got one, write that question in there and answer it. I'm pretty sure that question is in the community group study guides for this week. So you can expect your community group leader to ask that question. But it's something that you certainly need to answer. And if it's not on your priority list, edifying and strengthening other believers, if that is not on your priority list for Sunday morning or or whatever evening you have a community group, then you need to add it. Don't get me wrong. Sunday morning is to worship our Lord and Savior. That that is the top priority, to worship Him. But one of the beauties of, of 
of the church. The way, the way God designed the church is that we can edify one another, encourage one another, minister to one another. Alex and I are not the only ministers in this congregation, not even in this room. We're to minister to one another and build one another up. And we see what, how Paul was completely devoted to that, not just in, in this passage, but in every single page of every single letter that he authored that God inspired him to author in the New Testament. We see his desire to see a spiritual fruit among the people. You see, um, so the, the third point was that Paul um, wanted to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And so the fourth point is that Paul is, is uh, obligated to take the gospel to the world. And I don't mean obligated as in like he doesn't really want to do it, but he has to, like oh, he signed up for this and now he has to do it, but he'd rather be doing something else. He's obligated in that that's his desire, that's his job, that's his responsibility. He, he wants to do this. this. He has to do it. And we see this in verses 14 and 15. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Again, Paul makes his attitude and his motivation known. He flat out tells us that he does not preach or, or teach because the calling is attractive or it brings personal gain. He ministers because he's under obligation. And he said the same thing to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he said, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. When Paul says things like this, I, I really think that he has his past in mind. Thinking of his time persecuting Christians and, and being raised up as a Pharisee and, and being passionate about the law and, 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 and all of those things. Or, or even, I'm not sure if you know this, but Paul, Paul was there at the stoning of Stephen. Right? He, he's there. He's, he's encouraging them. And I, I think Paul has this in mind as he says these things, as, as though he's saying, look, don't thank me for wanting to preach the gospel to you. I love you and I want to visit you, but I was appointed to this ministry long before I had a personal desire for it. We see in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, it's, it's Paul's calling. Uh, Acts 9, 15, it says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. God says, God says, Paul, here's your new obligation. You despised Christians, now you're going to love them. You tried to destroy the church, now you're going to edify the church. You were an enemy of Christ, now you're an apostle of Christ. And, you know, I, I, think, I think Paul was overwhelmed that God would give a sinner like him that kind of an obligation. Paul, he loved that obligation because of his union with Christ and because of Christ's atoning death and because of the great commission, right? That he's now obligated to go and, and take the gospel to the Jews and the Gentiles, Greeks and non-Greeks. And, and there's, there's this conflict there. It's kind of this juxtaposition of who Paul was and, and what he did and how he was a Pharisee and kind of a, a young rising star among that group. And, and I'm sure he was right there cheering along as Jesus was crucified, and now here he is, he's, a, he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's, he's stoned and he's beaten and he's shipwrecked and he's doing anything to bring the gospel to the world. 
He's obligated. He has this passion to fulfill this calling. Paul was obligated as an apostle of Jesus Christ to preach the gospel, but he was obligated to the church in Rome to bring spiritual teaching, to serve them because they needed him. I, I can't imagine what it would have been like to be a Christian in Rome in 57 AD. I can't imagine the persecution and the hatred that they faced. That church needed the Apostle Paul, right? And, and he was obligated to help them, to serve them. In much the same way, you'd be obligated to, to help someone who's drowning or help someone if you see a car accident, right? If, if you're sitting at a stoplight and someone runs a light and smashes into another car, are you just going to say, oh, I hope they're okay and drive away? Absolutely not. You're going to jump out and you're going to say, you're going to go check on them. You're going to call 911 and, and report it and make sure that everyone's okay and do everything that you can to help those in need. That's what we're going to do. Paul was obliged to help this church in Rome because they needed his help. They needed his service. They needed his teaching. They needed his preaching. They needed his leadership. They needed him and, and what Christ was doing through him. Verse 15 goes on to say, I'm eager to preach the gospel. He's showing his strong desire to edify, to seek converts in Rome. And again, I have to ask the question, is that the kind of attitude, is that how we approach our service to one another? Are we eager to edify each other? Are we eager to see people brought to Christ? Does it excite you at the potential of leading someone to Christ? or seeing someone grow in their faith, or, or grasp a biblical truth. And in all honesty, that desire is one of the marks of a heart that has been transformed by the grace of God. That the law of God, the commands of God, the expectations of God are not burdensome. In fact, they, they become a great privilege. And so the question is, has God changed your heart in that way? Has he changed you? Are, are you excited to see other people grow in their faith or come to their faith? And if so, then let's devote ourselves to ministering to one another, to bringing the gospel to those who have rejected it. Let, let's start abandoning ourselves to selfless service. And the commands of God are not burdensome, but an opportunity. Are, are we a church that hears the Great Commission and says, I could never do that, it makes me feel uncomfortable? Or are we a church that says, I love this city because God loves this city. I love this city because God brought me here to minister here. And that's why we, that's why we do ministries like A18 down in Cherry Creek. Because we're here to minister to this city. To bring the gospel. To, to edify one another. The other believers here. But also to bring the gospel with those who have rejected it or haven't heard it. And so we, we see the Great Commission. We, we see the neighborhood down the street, this way, um, and we say, we need to bring the gospel to them, and, and we need to, to bring them, we need, we need to provide a need. And so our team said, hey, you know what, let's, let's do some tutoring. Let's help them with school. Those kids' lives are probably difficult as it is. Let's, let's minister to them while we help them read, help them do math or homework. Are we excited about ministry opportunities or, or do we see it as just another thing to add to my calendar that I don't have time for? 
another thing that will make me uncomfortable. Bringing the gospel to the world is not a calling specific to the Apostle Paul. The go- bringing the gospel to the world applies to you and to me. We edify one another. We build one another up. We, we uh, preach the gospel to one another. We minister to one another and, and strengthen one another here. But we don't stay in this building. We leave and we take the gospel with us and we minister to our city and it doesn't stop in our city. We, we partner with missionaries that are around the world and we partner with other churches that are all over the place and, and my prayer is that we will also take part in planting another church so that the cycle repeats itself. Is that how you view ministry? Because that's exactly how Paul viewed ministry. And Paul didn't view that ministry as specific to himself. He viewed it as a part of the Great Commission. And I think Jesus intended it as well. That not just his immediate disciples, the 12 who followed him on earth, but his disciples throughout history would make disciples and baptize them and teach them, lead them to Christ and teach them biblical truths. That's our calling. Do you see that as a burden or as an opportunity? You know, the Apostle Paul, um, the Apostle Paul preached the gospel. He was absolutely transformed by the gospel, by the fact that, that there's a holy God, and the holy God created us. And, and Adam, uh, Adam sinned and fell and, and passed the sinfulness uh, on to mankind so that we have a sin nature and we're in desperate need of a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. He's the perfect Savior, the Son of God, God the Son. And He laid His life down to save us from the sin that we committed. But He defeated the grave. Three days later, rising again. Paul taught the gospel. He was focused on the gospel. He later, in in verse 17, he's going to tell us that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. That we are saved because of the gospel, of, of the events of the gospel, who Jesus is and what he did. And our response to the gospel is repent and believe. Repent, turn away from sin and change our minds about God. Worship him appropriately for who he is. And believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Put our trust, put our reliance in him. Put our faith in him as Savior. That is our response to the gospel. Our salvation was not free. While it might be free to you and to me, it was not free. And elders, if you want to move forward, our salvation was purchased at a deep cost. Jesus Christ, our Lord, laid his life down for us. His body was torn apart. His blood was spilled. And his father had forsaken him. which all resulted in us being saved. The work of the gospel is finished. Our response to the gospel is repent and believe. As we take communion, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it it most certainly is a celebration. We're celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ laid his life down for us and he defeated sin and he defeated the grave. But it's a somber celebration because we are reminded of the fact 
that Jesus saved us from our sins. It is our sin why Jesus went, why Jesus laid his life down. So as we take communion, we take the bread, we chew the bread that signifies Jesus' body being torn apart. And as we drink the juice, that signifies Jesus' blood being spilled. So while, uh, while we certainly uh, celebrate communion, it is somber. And we ask that if you have not put your faith in Christ, we're glad that you're here. We hope that you feel welcome and at home here. And I'd love to talk to you after the service and answer any questions you have. But the Lord's Supper is not for you because it doesn't make sense for you to celebrate the fact that Christ died for your sins if you don't believe that he did. When we take communion, we come down the center aisle and you'll take uh, the juice and the bread and you can take the elements as you walk around the outer aisles back to your seat. Let's read the scriptures out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.